Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast. So on today's podcast, we are going to talk about CSST bonding and, and the, everything that's involved around that. And if you're not familiar with that, CSST is uh, corrugated stainless steel. Um, and it's typically used for appliances, gas lines coming in. It's a, a real convenient way. We refer to it. It's usually wrapped in yellow, but that's probably not the only brand. There's plenty of them. Um, and there's some called Counter-Strike that's actually more of a carbon-based that they say don't need to do any of this bonding we're going to talk about today. But then the normal CSST, um, corrugated stainless steel tubing, the, the problem with it is that People are confused with who's responsible for this. So I'm an electrician, and I'm installing it, and the, the, the guy that's doing the gas lines, typically maybe even the plumbers doing the gas lines, and he comes to this manifold, and he runs this CSST all through the building, all through the house. And then he runs the line out to the gas line, and it makes the, you know, everything gets made up. And now I get there, and I'm required to bond this. Uh, in in some way and so because he used corrugated stainless steel tubing the manufacturers of that product which is not an electrical product by the way so it doesn't conform to 1103b of the NEC because that's for electrical products this is this is outside of our NEC for a, for a second and it says that you're going to have to make that connection uh, based on the manufacturer's instructions so for whatever reason, they determine that they need to have a six gauge or whatever it is run to their equipment, uh, whether it's at the manifold or whether it is outside of the terminations, whatever, they give you these instructions and you're supposed to do it. Um, the electrician is thinking, you know what, that's, that's not in the scope of what I do. That falls under the gas code and I don't have nothing to do with the gas code. Why wouldn't the plumber do it? I mean, why wouldn't they, in conformance with NFPA 54, which is the National Fuel Gas Code? I'm an electrician. I don't deal with that. But unfortunately, you, the poor electrician, get stuck with it because we really, to be honest with you, I don't think we want the plumbers and uh, gas folk coming into our panels. I don't think we want them messing with our electrical systems. So um, we end up by virtue of saying, you know what, leave the stuff that'll kill you to us, right? So we end up running it. Now, whether or not you charge for it, I hope you do. Um, But whose code does it fall under? Well, it's, you know, if you're dealing with the the fuel code, uh, those who have to use that standard will generally make that connection and they'll do everything. But many times they leave it up to the electrician. Now, in the realm of the electrician, we like to fall on what's called 250.104. And that is the bonding of piping systems and exposed structural metal. So in our case, we're not talking about metal water pipe. We're not talking about exposed structural steel. We're talking about other metal piping that falls under 
250.104B. And let's kind of look at that for a second. So if you've got your code book, let's kind of see why in the electrical realm, most electrical folks realize that the reason you're bonding the CSST is because those folks have issues with lightning. Those folks have issues with transients, surges, lightning strikes, creating pinholes, causing things to blow the freak up. Well, we're talking about bonding it, and we're having to make the bond. So what does the electrician have to do? Well, typically, it happens, it gets put in, and they leave a lug there either on the manifold or to the connector at the point upstream from the manifold where it connects to the, the gas line that comes in or right outside. And so we have to make that connection. Now, you never make that connection right to the actual CSST because that stuff's so thin, you can pinch it. It has to be with the proper fitting either onto the manifold or onto the actual connector of the main line that's coming in uh, at the point where it changes over from the fuel line into the CSST. Anyway, so you make that connection, follow the instructions based on the manufacturers that supply it. The problem is many times the electrician doesn't get those instructions. Uh, they came when the, the individual did the gas stuff and he's familiar with the National Fuel and Gas Code, uh, but we're not. We're just, we're the electrician. We're familiar with the National Electrical Code, we're familiar, some of us are familiar with UL standards that, or product standards that pertain to the equipment. Look, man, we, we don't get much into that other than you know we got to bond something. So the Nas National Electrical Code says 250.104B says this. It says, if installed in or attached to a building or structure, a metal piping system, including gas piping, that is likely to become energized shall be bonded to any of the following. Okay, so first of all, I have to determine that it's likely to become energized. Now, where would it likely to become energized? Well, if it's just a normal gas line coming into a building, maybe the fire people don't want you to bond to it, another one, the key is whether it's likely to become energized. Now, if the, if the metal piping's coming in, just say hard steel pipe, we're not talking CSST right now, we're just talking hard steel pipe, that comes in. If that goes to a piece of equipment that has mutual electrical circuit running to it, and they're kind of mutually together in a piece of equipment, then is there a likelihood that you could have inter, inter, uh, become energized? Yes, because they're mutually onto the same piece of equipment. Okay, we got that. With that same token, that piece of equipment that gets that circuit is also going to have an equipment grounding conductor that's run with it, right? So, let's follow some of the rules here that says, okay, if you have a gas piping, if that's what we're kind of talking about, and then we'll roll in CSST into this concept. The gas piping, here's what I do. Number one, the equipment grounding conductor for the circuit that is likely to energize a piping system, then I can just use the equipment grounding conductor. So if I've got a piece of equipment that's being supplied by a hard pipe gas line and it's going to the same piece of equipment, say a furnace, and a furnace also has a circuit running to it for the blower and it's running to the same piece of equipment. Where they mutually connect, I can use the equipment grounding conductor, uh, which is bonding the frame in the middle and everything else there. I can use that to make that connection and I ain't gotta do nothing else. I'm done. Right? Okay. The next option is that I can go service equipment enclosure. So if I got that metal piping and I could run it 
if it's likely to be uh, energized, I can run it from that metal, other metal piping, say the gas line, all the way back to the service equipment enclosure. And since it is a service equipment enclosure, since it has a main bonding jumper in it because it's service equipment, and because it's connected to the enclosure, to the granite conductor, everything's connected together, then I can make a connection to the enclosure. Not necessarily have to make it to the grounded conductor. That is going to be one of the options. But I can take it to the grounded, the service equipment enclosure. Okay? And then it just assumes that we do all the other things that we're supposed to do uh, in order to make this uh, all connected together with the main bonding jumpers and blah, blah, blah. All right? So that's one option. I can do that. So then I got another option if I want to bond that other metal pipe. I can go from the I can go to the grounded conductor at the service. So I can literally do that. I can go to the terminal bus that's connected to the grounded conductor. They're mutually uh, together. Uh, uh, the, the grounded conductor connected to the bus uh, axis one. I make that connection and I'm good to go. All right. So that's the problem where we're saying now we want a gas person to have to run a line to our panel and connect it, and we don't want them in there. So typically, if there's a gas line and it's likely to be energized, we're going to do that. So when it's CSST, we seem to somehow think that that's different as an electrician. Nothing's going to make us do that because they have a CSST. Now, here's the difference. The CSST product demands a certain size and demands it per their listing of their product. And the problem with the electrician is they say, well, isn't that CSST going to a piece of equipment that probably also has a, um, a circuit running to it with an equipment ground? Then I make that connection. And that's going to serve. The equipment ground's already there. It's already done. I don't got to do anything else. But that might be a 14-gauge or 12-gauge, whereas the manufacturer of the CSST says, no, 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 no. I need you to run a 6-gauge I'm not going to accept that equipment grounded conductor. That's where the argument kicks in because the electrician says, I ain't got to do nothing else, my brother. I'm done. But the manufacturers of the CSSC says different. And then there's some people that say, yeah, but you got 110.3B. 110.3B for the manufacturer's instructions. But that's electrical equipment. The CSST is not electrical equipment. So that's where the controversy comes in. Now, the electrical industry believes we're done when most of those to come together, you do usually have a circuit, whether it's the igniter circuit or whatever that has an equipment ground, and that intimately takes care of this. All right, so we see how this is going. All right, now the fourth option says, well, if I have other metal piping, and we're not just talking CSST, we're just talking in general, it says that I can take the from the piping, I can go to the grounding electroconductor if of sufficient size. So I can make the connection to the, to the grounding electroconductor provided that that grounding electroconductor, which does go all the way back to the grounded conductor or to the equipment grounding bus, if the bus is connected to the grounded conductor's terminal bus by the wire or bus bar type, uh, if that's the case, then I can make that connection to the grounding electroconductor provided it's size sufficient. Okay. So otherwise, how, what do I mean by that? Well, if the standard requires for CSST to be 6 gauge uh, for their standard and or their listing, and I'm going to 100 amp service uh, and I'm doing ground rods, uh, let's say, which are not required to be larger than 6 gauge, but it's 100 amp service 
And based on 250.66, I'm going, and let's say for whatever reason, the conductor was an eight gauge for the grounding electrode system, uh, for the grounding electrode conductor, based on any calculation we did under 250.66. Again, remember it says ground rods aren't required to be larger than a six, but they certainly could be smaller than a six. They're just not required to be larger than a six. So it's all dependent on what the size is uh, that you're dealing with. Now, with that of the service conductors. And when you're dealing with that, could I take the six gauge and connect it to the eight gauge grounding electroconductor that goes back to the connection in the service equipment? Absolutely not. It's gotta make sure it's of sufficient size. So the eight, six gauge could not connect to the eight gauge. I would have to use one of the other options. That's kind of give you an example of having to be sufficient size. That grounding electroconductor has to be sufficient size. Next, we're looking at the fifth option. It says one or more grounding electrodes used if the grounding electroconductors or the bottom jumpers to the grounding electro is of sufficient size. So same concept. If it's of sufficient size in order to make that connection, uh, then I am good to go with that application. All right, kind of the same scenario. Now, let's read down the last part and then we'll kind of break this out with CSST and why I kind of like electricians to do it even though they feel like it's something they're not supposed to. Is now, it says the bonding conductors or jumpers shall be sized, and that's what we're talking about, all those jumpers we just talked about, um, shall be sized in accordance with 250.122 and equipment grounding conductors shall be sized in accordance with table 250.122 using the rating of the circuit that is likely to energize the piping system. The point of attachment of the bonding jumper shall be accessible. And we have some exceptions here, but that's the general rule. It has to be accessible. So when we say a sufficient size, if we're going to do this, and this is any piping system that we're dealing with, like other, other metal piping systems other than the water pipe. We're talking about other metal piping systems. I have to, if I determine that the circuit that could energize that metal piping, and I size that equipment ground based on 250.66, or now I'm signing that bonding jumper based on 250.66, and I want to connect it to one of the options that are up here, one through five, and it's not of sufficient size, in other words, the grounding electroconductor that I'm connecting to isn't of sufficient size, then I've got a problem, okay? So if my size of my bonding jumper based on 250.122, based on the circuit that potentially could energize it or likely to energize it, then I could have a conductor that is larger than what that grounding electroconductor was. And so then I have a problem. So then I got to use one of the options that takes me what? To the service equipment enclosure, directly to the grounded conductor at the service, uh, and those type of applications. You see what I'm saying? So that's why you have to really take care and understanding the size. Now, for me, I know that most of the circuits that are likely to energize it are the ones that are intimate with it. There's no way that I have a metal piping of a gas system just running through a building that are not near anything that are likely to be that considered likely to be energized. Now, I have people that believe that if I have NMB that is actually laying next to or in close proximity to a gas line, that that is likely to energize it. So in that mentality, I've got a squirrel that gets in or a rat that gets in that runs up there and gets that NMB and decides it wants to chew it and eat it all the way down to bare conductors. And now that's touching the other metal piping 
And then thus it's likely to energize because of the proximity and what could potentially happen. I'm here to tell you that the National Electrical Code isn't a prognosticator of what could happen in that case. All right? If it's lightning. Now, when the two circuits come together in a piece of equipment where you have the other metal piping and the, the branch circuit that's supplying it, in this case a gas line, then there's the potential for them. There is that, that, that likelihood that it could. Right? Now, what other application would we might run into? Well, anytime I write, might see an installation where it does raise the likelihood of energizing a raceway, then I might have some inspector who might rough up and say, nope, you gotta bond it. Uh, and if that's a raceway, for example, an MC cable, it's touching it or something like that, then I would simply walk up to it and pull them apart a couple inches and go, there you go, done. Uh, every jurisdiction is going to look at that differently, but you have to understand the term of what's likely, okay, likely to happen. It's not likely to happen that a rat gets up in the air, chews on it, and then sits its fat butt on it, and it makes a contact to it, and then you have an issue. It energizes it, okay? You can interpret that any way you want, but that's common sense, okay? Now, let's get back to the CSST. Because they usually come in and they will go to pieces of equipment that has an automatic ignition on it or something that's designed for them to be intimate together, then, uh, or because the manufacturer requires you to bond it anyway uh, to the system, um, the question becomes, why do I as an electrician have to do anything other than just use the equipment ground that's in the mutually connected circuit that comes to the same piece of equipment that has the CSST connected to it? then in my belief in most of the electric industry is you don't have to do anything. It's done. It's bonded. I've done it. It's fine. Um, where the manufacturers of the CSST will say, nope, it's got to be the six. Well, that's where the argument is. Who runs that six? Now, I'm a belief that I think that instead of this long-running debate, and I don't necessarily think it needs to be in the code, I'm under this long-running debate where I said, you know what, if the manufacturer calls for the six, I'm going to run the six. I'm going to run it to one of these locations, um, not because of likely to be energized, but because the manufacturers of that equipment. Yes, I don't have a copy of this 54. Yes, I'm not a gas and plumbing guy, but we've come to the understanding that that's what they want. There's been enough debates over this. So I tell electricians, just do it. And hey, guess what? Make sure you charge for it. It's just one other wire that you've got to run. Make sure you get paid for it. That's all, right? Simple. I don't really want the plumbing guys, and I really don't want the uh, gas people um, in my panels. I really don't want them making connections. I'm not saying they can't. Uh, some of them might be cross-trained. I just don't want them. And it could borderline them doing electrical work, and it might get them in trouble, depending on the jurisdiction. I'm not going to be the judge of that, but I'm just saying it could. They need to stay within the scope of what they're good at. So... So people say, well, Paul, shouldn't you be an advocate for getting the rules that they argue every code cycle uh, about getting the requirement in here for the electrician to have to run that? Absolutely not. I do not. I believe that that can be taken care of at a local level. I believe there can be some mutual agreement on that. Um, but I also seem to believe that I don't think the six is going to matter because you got to remember, we're talking about bonding in the code. They're talking about lightning and things like that. They're worried about that, that thin stainless steel tubing getting pinholes in it due to surges from lightning strikes and things like that that can be imposed on the system and create a hazard. I get it. Okay? 
Now, yes, it's bonding it. Yes, if it comes energized, it is where it's bonding it. I get all that. But they're really worried more about lightning. They're worried about potential damage to cause leaks in this product. Okay? So, um, the good news is we do have an informational note here that says additional information for gas piping systems can be found in Section 713 of NFPA 54. So, we all have to work together, right? All have to, to work together to make this work. And so, again, my, my plea to electricians, hey, man, just charge for it. Run a six-gauge over to their manifold or run it over to where the gas line is and leave it curled up for them, and they'll put the clamp on it or they'll make the connection. Uh, or if, if you want to do it, you do it. And most jurisdictions, the gas people and the plumbing people are gone before you get in, and they won't get their inspection until you make that connection. And the inspector won't pass yours until that connection is probably made. So you can argue until you're blue in the face of the intent of 25104B and say that that equipment ground conductor is enough and it is for bonding cases. But at the end of the day, you got to make somebody happy. And so sometimes you, you figure out that wrestling with a pig in mud, after time, the pig likes it. So I don't need, believe we need a code change, but I do believe that most electricians just get this done and save the argument and you already do it and make sure you charge for it uh, and, and do it. Don't necessarily mean you have to own an NFPA 54 to make that happen. Uh, you follow the manufacturer's instructions on that and, and be done with it. And for their liability, they're going to put this in the information. Uh, they've been spending a lot of time trying to get it in the code to require it and, you know, because the NEC says manufacturer's instructions in 1103B only pertains to electrical equipment. So they would love you to be able to do it. I only care that, be honest with you, the only reason they want the six gauge is because they know they got problems with that thin steel. They know it. Stainless steel. They know they got problems. So they're trying to reduce their liability. I get it. And that's fine. But it causes the electrician to have to do one more thing. And I'm just saying, electricians, go on and do it. Get it over with. Take the high road. Make that connection. Just make sure you charge for it. It's not that much. It's six gauge. You run it. Be done. And uh, it's over with. You charge for it. Okay? So uh, at the end of the day, the one that gets hurt is the person that, that's owned the building. And they're waiting for a project to get its completion so they can get their CO. And the, 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 the arguments back and forth are who's responsible for this. The electrician has a good argument to say it's not their business. They don't need to worry about it. But really, the plumber and the um, gas guy, they're already gone. They've done their thing. They're probably not. And again, do you want them making connections back into your equipment? Probably not. Do you want them going in there and mucking up your stuff? Probably not. So find out where it's going to be. Ask the gas guy where the, the where the, uh, the, the manifold is going to be if CFCST is going to be involved. Find out where the gas line comes in or where it's at and make that connection and be done with it. All right? So that's my insight on it. That's my thought on it. Take it as you will. Believe, uh, like it or not. Uh, argue it. Uh, again, I'm a believer that no metal piping other than metal piping or water piping, but other metal piping needs to be bonded unless it's likely to become energized where they mutually come to a common piece of equipment, then they are likely. If it's just running through a building, I don't consider it likely to become energized. What is all of a sudden, something's going to run over and connect a hot conductor with insulation on it to the actual metal piping? Probably not. I mean, you know, maybe in uh, Willy Wonka land, but not in real life. So anyway, that's just my thoughts on it, guys. Do what you feel is necessary. 
Um, until next time, stay safe and God bless. If you have more questions, email us at info at or visit our website and click on the Contact Us link and put your question there. More than happy. If you've got suggestions for future podcasts or even videos, again, videos take me a little longer to do, but if you have them, send them to me uh, and I will do a little something on them for you. All right, so there you go. That's what we're talking about when you're called bonding other metal piping in a building. And we kind of addressed CSST. Till next time, stay safe. God bless. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day is another beginning.